Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Movies in a Podshell podcast. The podcast which takes a theme and couples two films to fit that theme. And this, we are starting off on the Halloween season. We've got you a Night of Terror episode. What that means is we've chosen two films which take place over one horrifying night. Would you agree that they were horrifying, John? Absolutely. And as always, you can hear the voice howling in the background. As always, I'm joined by John. (laughs) Very good. Well done. That was all right, actually. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all good. All good. All good. We've been busy little bees, Mm. haven't we? We've been so busy. We actually did manage to watch an additional film together, which is quite a rarity. I'm I'm looking forward to talking about that. So now we don't actually seem, it doesn't even seem like we're busy now, does it? No, no. Oh, John, what have you you been watching? (sighs) So... I don't know if you guys saw on Jamie's Instagram last week, but we finally watched... It's Morbin time. We watched Morbius. I'm going to say it from... I had no uh, no issue with this film and I, I never really got... or I didn't really understand the memes. I genuinely thought he said it's Morbin time at some point. I was very disappointed he didn't. But... Oh, go on. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Carry on, carry on. But it really wasn't that bad. I really... It, to me, felt like early 90s, early two, sorry, late 90s, early 2000s superhero films when they weren't quite sure what they were trying to do, admittedly. Excuse me, but there was a lot more positives to it than negatives for me. But I would say it's one of those films where you can tell it's been tinkered with somewhere. So I believe there is a longer... Classic me, he's going on the director's cut, but I think there's a longer version. I think there's a slightly darker version. And then I think there's what we got. That film very much feels to me like it got changed by the studio. And the reason I think that is because the opening sequence looks super fake and it looks very last minute rushed. And like Jamie and I watched it and we said, they're in a jungle. It's all CG. It looks not 100% great. It looks kind of unfinished. It looked absolutely horrendous. I I couldn't believe it. And I think it's one of those scenes where, you know, when they say, oh, the audience need to understand instantly what this is. So it has to have bats in it straight away and it has to have this. I feel like it's been added to the front of the film. Um, but once we got to... Sorry, I am going to go into some spoilers for Morbius because I think people have either seen it because they want to see it or people hate it so they don't care. That's my opinion on it. I think that, yeah, I think that's okay. I think that's fine. And then if not, skip ahead like two minutes. But essentially, the the first attack on the boat... So when... Um, Let's talk about Jerry Leto. You really liked Jerry Leto in it, didn't you? Like, you liked the performance. You were, you were up yeah, for it. Yeah, I, th- I had no issue with it at all. Like, I, what, I don't, what I don't understand, right, and, and I, did, I did go off on a little bit of a rant, is the, is the half stars that it's been, getting, it's been given. Because, I mean, for me, like, the, there was no real terrible performances. There was, no. there was, there was some pretty shonky writing um, which you can't really blame the performances for that. Like there was some, like the the cops were a bit weird. Um, the yeah. I guess my my biggest issue with the film is if if it had stayed as it was at the beginning, I would have hated it. I think I said to you, John, probably about forty five minutes in hospital. Start, start, yeah, yeah, exactly, perfect. You, in fact, you pointed it out. You said yeah. there's there's a scene in the hospital where it's like a proper horror scene, actually, isn't it? It's really cool. And you were like, that's a wicked scene, and I was like, it definitely is, and. And from there on, it got like really good. Like the action was decent. Yeah, do you, do you know what it was? The 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 whole. To be honest, the the how Morbius became Morbius was the bit that I wasn't really that bothered about. And like 
it's quite funny because there's a sequence when he's on a boat and basically kills a load of mercenaries and the film sp- spends the next 90 minutes trying to justify why these people, it's okay they died and the police aren't remotely bothered about it, which is quite hilarious in this day and age. But anyway, and then after that, um, yeah, once Matt Smith's character, spoilers again, gets becomes the baddie and he does an attack in the hospital. He was also really fun. Matt Smith is really funny. There's a whole sequence where he's had this degenerative d- d- disease, but then now he's had the um, serum, like or whatever it's called. Like he then becomes like he's got the powers and he embraces it all. But there's a scene like Jamie and I were laughing because it's like he's getting ready, he's checking himself out in the mirror, he's shredded, and he's doing like a cheeky little dance to him, like banging yeah, hip hop music. He's, he's it's having a really good, time. good and like stuff like that i mean it's got it's got personality i don't i don't think there's anything wrong with it I listen just... it's a stone cold six out of ten it's a stone Absolutely. cold six out of ten yeah um but yeah the... I, I, we had fun watching it didn't we because like we, we had all, yeah we, the we were first like 10 15 we were kind of like was this a bad and i'm not gonna lie it was a it was an ultra hd rental so it was a good it was 550 or something was it or 450 it wasn't a cheap rental no it wasn't no and we were questioning the first 10 minutes all the stuff with like the child actors i wasn't that keen on and then no. once we it's, quickly brushed past that and got past the hospital sequence, I was I was well up for it. It was good. The gratuitous amount of CGI and the fact that it looks like about four different films rolled into one at times and that ten different cinematographers shot it. That's the only, that's like my main issues, but otherwise, you, fun time. Do you know what I was going to say actually as well, though? And this is very relevant to the film we'll talk about later, though. Jamie said... If this film had more practical effects, so if they'd used um, makeup rather than CGI for more the face, yeah, I don't really see why it has to be CG. It's another one of those that could have been quite well done if it was augmented well, no, so... by CG. So like Vecner in maybe I shouldn't say that. No, don't. Someone someone told me someone told me um, that the reason why it was the way it was was because Jared Leto was really pushing for like the cg element he was like yeah we need to move with the times blah 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 i, d- I don't know if that's true but that was one of the main reasons and we're going to talk about some incredible practical effects later on anyway i think there's um, some fantastic use though recently of practical effects so in game of thrones for example where they had a practical suit for the it's not the witch king i don't actually watch game of thrones i just watch all these behind the scenes things it's um is it the ice king the blue dude the ice king yeah he is wearing a practical suit but then it's augmented with cg to kind of make it look more photo real so it's kind of taking the best yeah, of, of both course. worlds and i i personally would prefer that approach but look yeah morbid time was nowhere near as bad as people made out it was but 100%. i tell you what though jamie and i did kick off about one thing classic me because i'm going to mention score jared leto goes into like a tub of bats and like looks up and then it starts playing the dark knight chords and i literally was like one wrong studio two literally it was exactly the same wasn't it it was, yeah. The, the score, Not I didn't. Subtle. I didn't find the score like it was just a, a rinse repeat. It was very vanilla. But John, what else have you been watching, mate? Nothing. What have you been watching? <laughs> that's why. That's why you wanted to talk so long about Morbius. I love it. Yep. <laughs> um, I watched uh, Hellraiser, Clive Barker's Hellraiser from 1987. I've obviously seen it before. I say obviously. Who know? Who? No one knows that I've seen it before, except the person that watched it with me the first time, which I can't remember. Um, Basically, this is about um, it's an unfaithful wife encounters the zombie of her dead lover um, while the demonic Cenobites are pursuing him after he escaped the sadomasochism underworld. Now, this is... Clive Barker also did a really good film called Nightbreed. I say really good. 
you just must accept it for what it is like it's incredible practical effects a bit wild i actually really like hellraiser um it's really good fun it's gross um the costume designers and some of the best i've ever seen um so yeah like definitely it's a classic for a reason is this um, the one with the cd pinhead. man pinhead no the oh. cd man who's the cd man what <laughs> in one of the horror films is the cd man that everyone jokes about this time of year Okay, tell me what the CD man does, because I don't know what you're talking about. I think he's in, like, Hellraiser 3. Okay, maybe I've got no idea. The CD man... <laughs> I'm going to find it now. Hold on. Okay, you Keep find going. the CD man while I talk about... Um, we're all going to the World's Fair. This is a 2021 film. Found it on Shudder. Um, hated it. <laughs> Which is... it's Listen, uh, this film is um, 86 minutes long and surprisingly baggy. Um, this is basically about a teenager who is... And look, look, I get what it's supposed to, what it's trying to do. It's trying to show um, how like online, online uh, sort of games influence uh, children, that kind of thing, like and how they, we don't know what's real and what's not anymore. That uh, That's that's how I sort of portrayed it. Um, this is directed by Jane Schoenenbrunn. Um, listen, I just found it quite slow for what it was. Um, it's obviously extremely low budget, which is great. The central performance was great. Enjoyed that as well. I think I fell asleep for a good 10 minutes and had to rewind. Jamie, that's poor. What? What? You falling asleep in a film is very unlike you. I know, but like this, what else could I do? Like I've, it was 86 minutes. I thought I'd be okay. Mm. And it just didn't, it didn't really grip me. I didn't, it didn't really, I didn't really know what it was trying to do. Um, but it will, yeah. Speak. Who's the CD man? Go on to the chat, right? I've just sent you a link. I want you to check out CD man and you can... You've it... just sent me a link on the chat. Yep, and you can okay. have a look at what CD man is and tell our listeners because <laughs> okay. it's great uh, to share right. a visual medium on a podcast, but there we go. CD man, right. So is this on... Uh... Right, okay. He's a in Cenobite, Hellraiser, Males, Pseudo Cenobite? Right, okay, cool. I can't see anything in the chat, I'm afraid. Oh, um, direct message me to Jamie. Come on. Where is this? Uh, on Zoom. Behind the yeah. curtain, guys. So, no, it's, CD it's is a mute and blind Cenobite who makes electronic noises when he moves. Once a DJ for the boiler room, but now a Cenobite only appearing in Hellraiser, Hell on Earth, and its comic counterpart. So, Jamie, I'm just going to send it to you on our personal chat on WhatsApp. Okay. So I'm going to give you a brief description. He seems to carry CDs and wear like a, a leathery jacket. And he has oh, one, two, three, four, five CDs stuck in his skull. Uh, one of them looks like a mohawk. Yeah, it just caught my eye the other day on Twitter. Okay, well, okay, cool. So you do know what CD, like CD man is a thing. And do you know what? Maybe I look like the idiot for once. And you've sort of mentioned something that's really obvious. So I'm sorry about that. Okay. I'm also sorry to the listeners for how excruciatingly painful that must have been uh, waiting <laughs> for us to, to do that. Um, right. And that, that will lead me on to the final film that I did watch. Um, and that was The Incredible Shrinking Man from mm. 1957. Right. And let me tell you, it was incredible. Um, this is directed by Jack Arnold, who you might also know. He did the uh, Creature from the Black, Black Lagoon. Yeah. He did um, It Came From Out of Space, Tarantula, like he loves his monster movies. This film, I'll tell you what, John, have you ever seen it? No. It's it's glorious. Like, i tell you what, the and you may, maybe you can describe what the hell I was seeing, but basically it's, this is about a man who, he gets exposed to this mist on a 
on a boat. He's on a boat with his with his wife, and he gets exposed to a mist, and then all of a sudden starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. It's very much, honey, I shrunk the kids, but not because it's the fifty seven version, so it's probably the original. Honestly, this the this the effect, special effects in this film were fantastic. I don't know what they would have done, John, but like, can do you any have any idea? Basically, the, the man's shrinking. You've got like lots of perspectives, and he's got like blur around the outside of him almost. Yeah, so I, it's like I imagine... photochemical. Well, yeah, it would be because there wasn't anything else going on at the time. But it's it's more so like you do clever things with sometimes you know like Lord of the Rings use forced perspective on sets to make people seem taller or smaller, right? Yep. So yep. like how you build the set around them, or it can be things like literally filming them separately on a big seventy-five millimeter print, have one layer and then have a um, have another element which is the background and like put them mash them and together. I think that's what they've, I think that's ways, what they've is, done a lot. Or yeah. it could be rear projection, which is when you literally have a cinema screen behind the people, the images playing behind them, and they act in front. But I don't think that was done as much then. That's something Cameron did a lot for T two and uh, Aliens and a and sorry Terminator one as well. But yeah, really clever. It looked it looked fantastic. And do you know what? Again, was it black and white um, color? Black and white. Yeah, I think sometimes as well that helps. Because you know when you have two film elements and the colour mm-hmm. timing's off, like you, one of your big complaints on yeah. Alien 3 was like, oh, it looks so remote. What they're doing for the 4K is that was the stuff I said they were redoing and it's made such a difference. It still is what it is, but the if the colours match, your brain almost goes, oh, yeah, fine. Like, you know, it looks like it's lit in the same way. But Rod yeah. puppets. Mm. I am very upset. There's a there's a screening in Prince Charles Cinema this Sunday of Alien Three, um, not the director's cut, the assembly cut, the closest we have to David Fincher's vision. I'm not going to be able to go, which is very sad. But there we go. Where's the Prince Charles Cinema? Uh, it's in Clapham. Right. It's a shame. I might Star. go. Oh, imagine. <laughs> I'm joking. I wouldn't do that to you. Cry myself to sleep. Um, I've got to say, actually, Patch wrote in um uh, a couple of weeks ago and sent me a recommendation for a really good TV show. I've just finished binging it. It was six episodes. It was 30 minutes long, an episode. And it was called Am I Being Unreasonable? It's Daisy Mae Cooper's new series, but it's not just a comedy. It's like comedy, thriller, dark kind of undertone, but it's really good fun. I literally just finished it today, but I really, really enjoyed it. So I would recommend. Um, but yeah, it's Daisy Mae Cooper is, uh, was in This Country, which is... Um, okay yeah 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 i know her yeah, yeah. I, i've not seen I've, I've seen this advertised but i've not watched it it's, it's, it's a shame because patch will often send me recommendations and i don't watch them because i don't really watch any tv no you don't so, be, well not as much and i mean the other one that's still on my list is andrew garfield's series which is the detective one which patch also recommended as well which i will get around to you know the one i'm on about the one that's on disney when he goes into the society in like the 50s or something nope well anyway Going back to Daisy May Cooper's one, it's really, really good. It's really nice seeing her actually stretch her acting chops a bit rather than just being, you know, a, a funny, just like a funny side character as she was in this country. It's more, she's got more depth, more things going on, more to play with. And, and I think she's great in it uh, and good supporting cast. And there's a little boy, her, the boy who plays her son in it, who plays an eight-year-old, is absolutely fantastic. He's really funny. Uh, but like naturally so, as in... It's not just the lines he's got, it's the delivery. You know, sometimes you get a really good child performance and like we're the first to slate when they're poor. So when they're good, you've really got to like praise it. It's really good. So I definitely am the first to slate when something's poor. Oh, you are, you are. But anyway, that is that is pretty much it, apart from our two films this week. Well, John, 
I picked him because I thought, again, I try and look after you. I try and look after you on the pod. I try and make sure you're not too scared and you go crying to your mummy and daddy. I chose 2002's Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers. Those things out there are real. If they're real, what else is real? Exactly what is it we're fighting against? Lycanthropes. That's werewolves to you and me. So Jamie failed his duty of care for this pod episode because there was a miscommunication. So I said to Jamie, when it's when it's horror month, which is a month I can't stand on the pod because it's like the one I worry about most for what I'm going to end up watching. So I said to Jamie, I'm happy to do it if you come around and watch the worst film with me. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And then obviously there was two this week and I really wasn't psyched up for either of them. Luckily you are lucky they weren't that bad this week in terms of jumpiness. They weren't too terrifying, but they're more like, um, dog soldiers was more of like an intense horror in terms of like that kind of relentless momentum with a bit of gore was the first, it was a link film we're doing as well. Sorry. was more gore than outright horror, more like black comedy, but yeah, your, your duty of care was lacking there. My friend, poor management. Listen, Listen, I completely misunderstood you. And so we ended up watching the real horror film that was Morbius. Yeah. Listen, a squad of British soldiers on training in the lonesome Scottish wilderness find a wounded special forces captain. I'm Cooper, by the way. And the remains of his team as they encounter zoologist Megan did my head in. It turns out that werewolves are active in the region. They have to prepare for some action as there will be a full moon tonight. So, John, it's funny because Kate Reviews Films wrote in and she said straight away, John, how scared were you watching this alone? So you just mentioned it was intense horror. Like, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of jumpy bits, right? Yeah, I, um, I wasn't too bad. I There are some genuine bits I really properly jumped, though. Uh, I'd say the first time... Uh, so the first time they're around the campfire and the cow comes down because you're not expecting it. But you you kind of are expecting it because they're talking. You know know it's going to kick off at some point, but you're not quite sure how it's going to initiate. And when the cow comes down, literally from nowhere, you're thinking, is it going to be they're going to attack them? They don't. Like, you get your lull. Uh, But there are some... uh, What was the other job? Oh, there's a guy who stood... Later on, when they're defending the house, there's a guy who gets ripped at the window in like a quiet moment. You know, it's been like really, really heavy action. Then it quiets yeah. down, and he says, "I was some- just expecting that." To and be he honest. says something like, "Oh, stupid!" Like I can't remember. And then bang, he's out the window. And I thought, yeah. So, yeah, I, w- I wasn't too bad. It reminded me of Aliens a lot, and which for me is good because I love Aliens. As in, I thought the it film might. Aliens, I thought it might. But I think there's definitely some nods to it. But also the fact of hearing that amazing voice of let me say that actor's name correctly uh kevin mckid who plays cooper his voice is incredible and i realized it was through all my teenage years he's their voice in uh, call of duty modern warfare he's soap absolutely yeah so absolutely his voice is just incredible so any line of dialogue he gives in this army orders whatever love it absolutely to be honest i quite like um is it wells the cockney yeah. Played by Sean Pervy. Do you Pervy. know what? He was in Gotham. Let's do this, lads. Let's go on, lads. Yeah. Oh, was he Alfred? He, yeah, he was. And I'll be honest, yeah. Gotham was one of those shows I just never quite got into. I really wanted to get into that. We could just but it had Ryan from the OC. I know, and that's why I started watching it. <laughs> but I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't really get into it. And I remember him being that. But 
he yeah i really liked him in this the only thing with dog soldiers that wound me up a bit or not wound me up that's dramatic but at the start there's a really high shutter speed and i'm not it, it felt like i don't know why we needed it at that moment so you start with the cabin uh sorry you start with the couple who are attacked by a werewolf and they're sleeping in a tent and it's all quite eerie the blood is really horrible in that bit by the way isn't it Oh, when I think splatter, the, uh, that, yeah. that attack is probably the worst one, the first one. But you know that one's going to come, and it sets the tone immediately of it's grim. So there's a couple away, and they're about to have a nice, quiet evening in together. And then their tent is. I open. wonder what they were going to be up to, John. I don't know. And it, alone in the wilderness, and then the tent is opened up. And as the tent is opened up, there's a massive werewolf there, and it starts nibbling on her legs before she's even out. That's the worst bit of that. It's like eating her as it takes her out. Anyway, and then yeah. So that's that's pretty grim. But what I was going to say is, after that, you see a helicopter arrive, and then the army squad come out. We don't. We think they're just on a training exercise. But the shutter speed is so high, and I was just like, when I'm talking about the shutter speed, it's kind of uh, the frame rate is still, let's say, 24 frames per second. But the shutter speed is normally you have double. Um, double your frame rate is what your shutter speed should be for normal motion. So if it's 24 frames per second, your shutter speed would usually be 48th of a second or 50th of a second. If you have a hundred shutter speed when you're filming at 24 frames per second you get that yeah, it looked like the hobbit no no, no that's no, different okay. that's different again but it looks like saving private ryan that kind of juddery like really staccato-y action uh yeah yeah, and yeah 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 when the dogs were attacking when the werewolves were attacking that made sense to me but in the first sequence when they're starting the training exercise it didn't do you know what I mean? It's quite jaunting, isn't it? Like, I, I noticed that, and I didn't particularly like it. It didn't offend me as much as you, but I yeah, really I... just noticed it. I, and, yeah, I don't But Listen, oh, go on. I, I was going to say as well, though, and we've talked about this, I know a couple of things with the film as well. Even on the 4K version, it's not perfect, because this film essentially was lost for a while, wasn't it? Like It, it was. I've, I, I've got the 4 I bought it on 4K physical. Mm. So it, there's the... It was shot on 16mm rather than 35mm. So what that basically means is the quality is not as good because my understanding is it it's grainier because it allows less light to come through. So it has a higher base ISO. So there's less detail in the image. So you're never going to get a pristine 4K of it. But there's parts of the film where I'm guessing the um, there's like in some of the attack sequences, there'll be like the B camera and the B camera degradation looks massive, doesn't it? Like compared to the like the A camera. Did you notice I that? I didn't quite know. I don't know whether my Blu-ray is different, so I don't know. The, I, I did the, notice. I watched the 4K version. It was 4K. Streaming though, mate. It's just not the same, is it? You know yeah, this. Yeah. I'm joking. Right. Maybe maybe we need to watch out together. I, I'll be honest. I thought that the 16 mil worked for it because it's got Feels that more so it's grounded and like kind low of low budget. Yeah, exactly. But dirty as well. Like it sounds weird, but just like it's that grimy kind of earthy feel on 16 mil. So I like that. That's not, that wasn't my issue. It was more the, I felt like it was trying to generate a load of excitement for that opening bit when they're coming out the helicopter when actually it should have a bit of it, but it just, it, I don't know. It just felt quite extreme. I felt so with the, with this bit where the, the man's they're in Scotland I felt like that when the zip goes up, it's very much like a slasher film. Mm. Um, and the 16 millimeter makes it feel a bit more like documentary-esque in a way, like okay. for me. I thought that... Uh, do you know what I would have liked to see? And this is me just sort of thinking about it in the moment. 
it would have been nice to see that 16mm used until they get to the house and then switch it up to to 30, a 32, 35mm, uh, sorry. Um, I mean, in, in their a bit defense, more clarity, it would have been budget, wouldn't it? Let's be yeah, honest. 2.3 million pounds. And it looks pounds. incredible. I mean, maybe I should have started with that before I started moaning about the initial five-minute sequence of the film, which wound me up. I say wound me up, it's so dramatic. i tell you what it reminds me of, though, and I talk about it all the time. It On older um, TV shows, when they used to have a transition and it faded to black... You knew the fade to black was coming because on the Blu-ray, the, the image quality suddenly goes really poor. And then I it suddenly asked, goes yes. to black. And yeah. what happened is that was part... So, you know, you talk about photochemical processing. That's yeah. been put through an optical printer 70-odd years ago. Not Dog Soldiers, but like, say, original series Star Trek 50, 60 years ago. It's gone through an optical printer. And that's why the quality's never the same and never as good because it's already been worked on and been through multiple passes and got scratched and dirt and whatever. Was... Um, a film like Dog Soldiers being more modern, you wouldn't have thought it would have struggled with things like that. But obviously, because it was lost, maybe it was just poorly kept. And there's just parts of the film which don't look as sharp as they could look. And also, because it's a low-budget film, I can't imagine it really having the audience to go through and make the restoration. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it was... You know, in Scorsese finds out an old picture from the 50s like that, they're probably going to do a lot more work than they would for this I would imagine, yeah, may, maybe. I mean, it's cult, I, isn't it? It's a cult classic. Well, listen, it was it was Second Sight that rema- um, like have released this on 4K, mm-hmm. and generally they're they're very very good and very meticulous in their in their ones. But like, I, I know what you mean. Like, and, and yeah, it's definitely. I, I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure myself. Um, I love the fact. So Neil Marshall, I watched a documentary with him. Um, this was very much inspired by The Howling, which is fantastic werewolf film. Um, and American Werewolf, uh, American Werewolf in London, which is yeah, because obviously that had the best effects, didn't he? In terms of hundred percent practical the, effects, yeah, definitely. Um, and he started off like when he was um, like younger. He, I think, he made this when he was thirty. He started off when he was younger making films with a Super Eight with his friends, yeah, like ripping it. ripping off Indiana Jones films. Um, and this film he designed specifically. He, he basically designed it a film that you watch when you get back from the pub. And he hoped that the British Army would like it. That being said, apparently it was the most watched movie in Iraq during the Gulf War. Really? Uh, yeah, which is. Wow. But I, I thought the Gulf. Yeah, which is strange. I Does thought it, the Gulf War was. That's the ninety-one one, though, isn't it? Not two thousand three. I think someone's got I their dates so, yeah. wrong there. But so do I. I yeah, but um, it was the most watched movie in Iraq during that time, anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I found that really, really interesting. I think that the so the score. Did the score remind you of anything? So it's a Welsh composer, isn't it? Who's famous for more for like TV, TV movies and like TV series. But what what were you saying? It sounds like I'm intrigued. So the score really, really reminded me of Rambo. The Rambo scores the da, 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 da. maybe I'm doing the Dog Soldier score again, but that it. They're very, very similar. Really I'm, similar. I'm not as in tune with the Rambo score, I, I will be honest. So maybe that's part of the problem. But no, I, I thought it was a good bombastic score. And because it's a full orchestra, it feels it makes the film feel it has more scope and size just from doing that. I mean, we spoke about on the Back to the Future episode. They went and got Alan Silvestri to do a bombastic theme tune because it's, again, that was quite a small budget film, but they wanted it to feel big. So they did that by having an orchestral score and making it feel more epic than it was. And absolutely, it works. I really like the score. I, yeah, I mean, I thought it was great as well. Listen, 
I've written down. So obviously we've we these these this group of uh, soldiers they're there for practice, but all of a sudden things start going a bit pear shaped, right? They've got they've they've they find another squad that are basically have been completely destroyed by they don't know what. Um, didn't even get a round off. One of the one of the soldiers mentions, mm. um, and so then they start getting a little bit worried. They call for they call for backup, um, and yeah. So we've got um, we then meet Liam Cunningham, who is Davos from Game of Thrones. I would say yeah, he's in loads of stuff. He's he's he is the, him. You know when you see someone, you just recognise their face instantly. And also he's in quite a lot of period bits. So he's in Clash of the Titans. That's where I recognised him from, which is a random one to recognise him from. But there we go. What the, oh, I hate that. I hate the one with Sam Worthington. You didn't use to hate it. I remember watching it with you in halls twice. <laughs> so anyway I'm, I'm all right call you. me out then you didn't there. used to hate, well you didn't used to hate it listen it's not as good as the original clash of titans i've grown john oh yeah <laughs> um but yeah he he's one of those actors you've seen in loads of stuff and but yeah um his character's great because he's just very very evil i mean sorry sorry his character's ryan but liam liam cunningham plays a very good kills a dog mate yeah well sorry kills the, a dog the root of all evil yeah so cooper at the start of the film is about to be selected for the sas and or something equivalent to like special forces branch or whatever yeah and basically ryan played by Liam cunningham is part making sure whoever the candidate is gets through and the last thing they have to do to follow his orders is shoot the dog and he doesn't shoot the dog and that's cooper who's played by kevin mckidd who's the man from call of duty modern warfare and yeah basically because he doesn't shoot the dog we then find out later on in the film the reason they're probably training to shoot dogs is because they're learning to shoot werewolves. I would say. Did you? Think I that think the that's a. I think that's a very, very good point, John. So yeah, I mean, I would, I would highly agree with that. Thank you. But the werewolves are nowhere near as cute as real dogs, so you know. No, but would you agree that the werewolves look very unique? What was your th- what was your take about how you because we for for once right this this kind of this film we actually do see we get some really good looks at the werewolves like all the way through don't we like generally like what generally in what I, we, I talk about it all the time in kind of 70s and 80s horror you would kind of have quite a slow build wouldn't you you'd have a slow build for like 40 50 minutes and then it would all kick off with this you, and you don't even see the monster so like in alien for example you don't even see the alien for ages do you, you see like little hour, glimpses yeah. of it exactly and so people would describe that as slow nowadays because we like crashy bashy straight away. But what I would say is that you do actually see the the werewolves loads and I don't think it takes anything away from it. If anything, I think because of how unique they look, I think it adds to it. I think to be fair, in the first sequence, you only really see the snout. You don't see much else. And then after that, you get a few POVs, don't you? Like point of view shots from like how they see things and they have like a wide angle lens in black and white so you kind of see like how they see which is quite cool that reminded me of alien 3 because that's the first time you see the aliens perspective and they did a similar thing they had a wide angle lens they didn't do the black and white but they had a wide angle lens to like distort the edges to kind of give you that otherworldly view which is quite yeah. a cool idea i think they undercrank the camera as well so um they can like speed it up slightly so it looks like um oh, like a like different it's a, motion it's a, there's um, like a hand cranked camera no i think when i say under cranked i mean literally in they might drop the frame slow like, the shutter speed a little bit yeah and and like literally have less frames but then speed them up to the 24 to give it kind of like a, an awkward 
look to make it not look the same as when you see the humans in the film if you know what i mean but anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um I, t- I tell you what i liked was i read that they didn't get stunt performers they had dancers because they yes, wanted was, like, this is what i was going to mention yeah, yeah go like for it. graceful balletic movements and that kind of thing because the werewolves you know um they're they don't seem to be like sprinting on all fours kind of thing do they they seem more like what or am I wrong on that? I thought... Big, that, no, no, no. I think you're right. No, they're, they're big, more like, like people. Tall, they're like prancing, people sprint more so. They're, yeah. They're, I think that the werewolves look really creepy because there's a, there's a specific scene when uh, the Sarge is obviously... There's a, there's a scene where the Sarge gets his guts ripped out all oh, the way out. so gross. It's disgusting. And they glue them back in, which is incredible. <laughs> um, I love stuff like that. Uh, so they glue them back in and he's, he's basically in, he's in the bed for like almost the rest of the film. There is a scene when, uh, obviously, once all this kicks off, like they're getting hunted, they find this this house. And so they, they go to a house and it then becomes home alone, but with werewolves, doesn't it? Yeah. That's what I wrote, I, I wrote down. So they've, they're basically like, <laughs> it's, it's really, and the film's got a fantastic sense of humor as well. Like the camaraderie between all of the, the, of the soldiers is, is, yeah. is, is brilliant. So that they're, they're all like laughing and joking. It's very like blokey, believable behavior they're talking about the footy quite a lot they're they're sort of um like they so like there's quotes like oh like uh we're now up against live hostile targets so if little red riding hood should show up with a bazooka and a bad attitude i expect you to chin the bitch like stuff like this like really like blokey well kind of yeah i know his dad or his grandfather was in the military the director so he was really keen to like get a sense of the gallows humor that they would have in that scenario yeah so excellent that's that's was what he was really fussed about in terms of like capturing conveying that mood and and feel but also um yeah you've got like the footballers it's a bit like in aliens you've got people with certain quirks so you know quickly who they are by how by what they talk about so there's one character who instantly talks about the football over and over and over and it's the film takes place on that famous night england fans when england beat germany 5-1 and even heskey scored so there's a reference for you uh, <laughs> it's funny because John's a John back back then at this point. Yeah. Were you at the height of your England fandom? You, John's uh, a big no, England hype, fan. Hype was two thousand six. The hype right, was sorry. unbelievable back then. But um, yeah, so it takes place on that evening. So one of the one of the members of the team is constantly talking about the football, and then you've got the other guy who's always got the dodgy jokes, right? Yeah. And yeah, the Sarge I quite like because Jamie said because he's the one with a thick Cockney accent. He's a good. He's a good character. And you can tell he cares about them all, but he's also quite harsh to them all. So very quickly, yeah. you kind of get the mood and feel of it all. So we have got a question, John. Sorry, we have yeah. got a question. Who is your favourite soldier from... Uh, Cooper. Dog Soldiers. Who? Cooper. And why? I just think that voice is incredible. Cooper. Any any voiceover ever. Mm. Just... Okay. I mean, my favourite is without a doubt. So I love Cooper. Cooper's up there, 100%. Mm. Spoon or Spoony. Remind me, Spoon is the one who talks Listen, about... So there is, there, is a part, there is a part of the film where I think it is some of the most exciting cinema I've ever seen. And it is the part where the wolves, the dogs, eventually um, get inside the house. Oh, is he the three... guy who loves stabbing stuff a bit too much? There is three of them left. 
right? And there is, and we've got to talk about this film, and this is why it's my favourite part of the film. So Spoon is like, he's a bit nuts. He's a he's a fast runner. He's a bit of a he's a bit of a nutter, like, and he's not scared of anything. And so we find ourselves like almost towards the end of the film, and and we've got just three separate soldiers in three separate parts of the house, yeah. all being descended upon by these wolves. And trust me, if you haven't seen this film, like you know we go into big spoilers, but just go and see it anyway. And if you just want to listen to me talk about it, I think you're going to go and watch it anyway after you hear what I'm about to say. So these like big like dogs on their hind legs, they've got really like long spindly legs and they're, they're infiltrating the house and you've got, you've got the Sarge who is actually, he's in the toilet with a gun, with a pistol, with his feet against the door and yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a dog trying to get in. You've got Cooper who is in the bathroom kicking a sink off trying to get in to next door to save sarge yeah he's also being descended upon by a dog but then you've got probably my favorite part of the whole film you've got spoony or spoon who is in the kitchen he's in the kitchen and he is like backed into a corner by this giant dog and it's they stand about seven eight foot high and so he decides to start boxing the dog so he's he's throwing everything at it he's throwing all pots and pans he's out of ammo at this point as well to be fair yeah he's he's out of ammo and he's and he's literally going crazy and he's fighting this dog fist hand-to-hand combat and it's incredible like ducking punches all sorts and and we see the dogs they're also obviously fighting hand-to-hand as well it's an incredible scene i think that is so much fun that whole sequence and i was watching at that point i was like do you know what like that slow build for the first half an hour, the bit that you didn't really like before they get to the house, is all worth it for like everything that happens in that house. And you need that space. Like I'm aware you need it. Do you know? Of course what I mean? you do. Because it can't. It can't. It can't be. 100% this is why Michael off. Bay. This is why like films like I don't know why he comes to mind, but Bayhem or like or even or even like the MCU films. Like when you've got this like constant uh, Fast and Furious, good example. You've got this constant action piece going all the way through. It kind of loses its momentum in a way. Like I remember going to the cinema to see um, Hobbs and Shaw with uh, with The Rock and Jason Statham. I'm like, yeah, do you know what? That's going to be good fun. And I was quite bored by the end of it because it's just the same thing all the way through. But with this, you've got that slow yeah. burn. And then you've got such excitement. I think the other thing I really like about Dog Soldiers is the ingenuity, ingenuity in the kills. So it's like, you. well, I say kills. They don't kill them for ages. They're bloody dogs take a good battering but there's stuff like they pepper them with bullets and it doesn't really do much does it and then there's one sequence where they're boiling a pan of water and they throw the boiling oh. pan of water over and then there's another one where someone's there's a sword in that i can't really remember why there's a sword in that there's a sword yeah but there's, there's, a sword. there's a sword and there's like because there needs to be yeah why not and and sword gets some action it's just it's just cool like it is it, the fact it's been described as a film you watch after you've been to the pub i can 100 percent get why imagine this with a with an audience with a crowd i wish i'd have seen it in the cinema but i, yeah. I didn't quite get to see it um so john why do you think dog soldiers has become such a cult classic multiple reasons i think one of the things is the i know there is some cg in it but essentially because it's wedded to the old school effects i think it was a time where people were fed up of people kept being told there's a new generation coming of filmmaking i think some people didn't want it i think people wanted to see there is something about the tangibility of practical things and i hate to be one of those people that says that but it is true you're right no no you're right i agree these horror films one of the things i do respect about a lot of the horror films that we do watch at this time of year, especially the old ones, is what they could do with those effects and how they could make it feel tangible and real and 
yeah, that's why it makes me feel uncomfortable a lot of the time, to be honest. But yeah, I think that's a, a one reason. I think another reason jokes aside is the fact that Cooper is Cooper and is such a famous voice now. Like it might genuinely have some part of it. Do you know what I mean? Like the fact, like, like the cu- the cultural significance of the online gamer. <laughs> well, a half joke, but if you think about that voice, I've heard through my headset for about fifteen years of my life. I tell you what, the you know, there's. I tell you what, for the for the four, isn't it Modern Warfare? There will be. There, I don't know, but there'll be people out there. That was. I tell you what, that was. So at that time, for listeners that don't that don't play games, that was probably. Well, maybe I mean it's probably bigger now, but that was the beginning and the birth of online gaming and and the the modern warfare campaign is iconic. Really, it's one of the best shooter campaigns ever. And yeah. the ghillie suit people talk about the ghillie suit campaign like yeah. they talk about that level for still now. And and you're right, yeah. Soap is yeah, he's it's so, iconic voice. But yes, yeah, so that that might be another part. But also the fact of you know after this you went on and you got the descent, which in itself is a fantastic film. It's a bit like what happened with fincher which is alien through is kind of the the naughty stepchild that no one talks about until they really liked seven and they really liked fight club and they're like well what else has he done oh we did that and then suddenly it gets reappraised right i'm not saying it was poorly received initially but i imagine that because you can see what you could do with the higher budget of the descent people then went back through to discover what had been done before and probably were pleasantly surprised i think i would agree i, I so i watched this when it first came out um we again this was during the phase like what this so this this was out in 2002 so i would have been uh probably 14 at the time um so i was just i was at that like little edgelord age where i was like oh what's like really gross that i can watch and we'd like it's a british independent banger and so we would again like pass this i think i had it on vhs I've got it on Blu-ray. I've, I have, no, sorry, you I had it on DVD. DVD. I've got it. Yeah. I've got it on DVD. I've got two copies of it now. Um, I think that it became a cult classic because of the one, the 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 pure Britishness. Yeah, that's and true. Actually, the cultural significance of it. So when you have, I don't. It's weird. I don't know what I mean when I say like I, I think I feel like a cult classic. On one hand, are generally low budget films. Cult classics generally become cult classics because they're generally quite low budget and they're not expected to be as good as they are and so i and i don't know if i believe what i'm saying there by the way john this is just because is... his blade runner is a cult well was i don't think it is any more cult but it was initially a cult classic because it had a poor in, uh, initial reception it's been reappraised it was reappraised but also it still had a core group of fans from day one who stuck with it so it's a it's a like yeah but then again you know we're not would you so so we'd say probably so in in really then you would say that it's a cult film is generally like underseen um, yeah and the fact that this was another film like fight club fight club was a cult film and the reason it was was because it didn't do well initially and it got reappraised when the dvd sales were good for fox uh, fight club was one of the highest the, sorry, the best-selling DVDs for years in home video release. Some films do well on home video that don't do well at the cinema. It's a weird thing, but it happens. No, you're right. Yeah, and Dog you're right, Soldiers yeah. is another one. And I don't think it got a US release. I'm not sure what release it got in the UK. And I think that frustrated the director. And I think that was another reason why it so the, didn't make as yeah. much money as it could have made. But the DVD release obviously was, was strong. So, it, you know, but like Taken was like that, you know. Taken, I don't even remember what the cinema release of Taken was, but it, it that film, we've talked about it before, got big because of piracy. It's when it was still LimeWire and all that stuff. And people... Do you know what else is going to be a cult classic, John? Go on. Morbius. 
Anyway, I've got down here, trust me, no, trust me on that. Um, I've got down here that, um, yeah, it's got a great sense of humour. It doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think it's got that similar vibe to The Lost Boys, which, do you know what? You could argue argue that that's no longer a cult classic because it's so popular now. But what is a cult classic is I bang on about it all the time, Fright Night. And just the pure gratuitous amounts of violence. I just think that this, these, for all these reasons... I feel like that is the reason why it's, it's, it's a cult classic. Don't know if I've answered the question, but I've done my best, and so has John. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> anyway, we it, well, we we all we always try our best, right? So, um, I guess it's important just to mention then. So, I mentioned at the beginning when I was first describing the film. So, we do have a character that actually does my head in throughout the whole film. It's actually the only female in the film, dislikable female character, Megan, uh, played by oh. Emma Cleesby. Not a bad performance. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, if you know, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, yeah, that's hey. hilarious. Uh, yeah, dislikable female character, Megan, um, played by Emma Cleesby, who, I'll be honest... She was in Doomsday, right? She was in Doomsday. Yep. I'm sorry, Neil. We love you, but that film's not good. Um, so I, she, she actually really frustrated me throughout the whole film. Uh, can we can we explain a little bit what's going on here? Because in you can. Let's just say, in the film, when they barricade themselves in this house, the army unit are invited in by Megan, and when they go in, they're looking at these photos, and the the hob is still on the boil like as in there's still war there's still pan on there and like people are still living there so they're like well where are the people and initially she implies it's not her house and then we discover that it's her family who live there her family are the werewolves love that great twist yeah she's like oh well if we survive she was trying to make them not kill them kill the werewolves she's saying like all you have to do is stay alive till morning stay alive till morning everything's fine and she basically said, I, I wanted to be at one with nature and I moved here and I've, I've given you guys a chance. But basically the army are fading at that point. She's like, you're being useless. So I've had enough. And then she turns into a werewolf and off she goes and strikes. And there's a whole subplot, I believe, which was cut out, which is the the first army, army character we talked about, Liam Cunningham, who was the man from Game of Thrones. Um, Davos. Yeah, he... He knows the werewolves exist, and it's implied that he is bait. He he no, it's not implied. It's told he leads the team there as bait to yeah, to yeah. get the werewolves right. And they thought there was one. They didn't realize there was a family of five or six or I think it's six in the end. I can't remember. And basically, she is part of that pack. But it's implied there's a history between those two, isn't there? And it's kind of like yeah. left out. So I, I'm intrigued to see what that would have been. Like, if he knows or whatever, or is she, like, an inside man and she's, like, selling them out or what? So, it's interesting. It is interesting. Uh, listen, I just don't think... It didn't need I just it, don't I like... I don't yeah, I don't like her character. I, I think I just don't like her character. It's not necessarily the actress. Uh, I just... Yeah, it's not for me. But her um, character, to be fair... I, uh, by the way, I It's had an no, important part. I had no no problems, to be honest. But I think my, my thing was, when she turns, like, she's so harsh. She's just like, well... I've, basically it's like I've given you guys two hours to sort this out or like however many hours to sort this out you've done a crap job so so because of that I'm going to eat all of you isn't it pretty much yeah, it's, it's, no, it's, it's it is. literally like you've had, you've had your shot you've, you've not taken it so off you pop she reminded me she looks really similar to Michelle in 24 
that's a bit of a niche reference. Michelle in 24 is in seasons two, three, and four. She was Tony, that's extremely, Tony that's a deep Almeida. Cut, Tony, Tony Almeida's. Yeah, wife. I remember her, yeah. yeah. But she reminded me of her. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't think you're supposed to like a character, though. She does turn on the entire group. But initially, were you rooting for her initially? Or do you know? It's the first time I've watched the film. So for me, like, I was invested on the basis of I didn't know she was going to twist, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's why I didn't have bad feelings toward Megan. I think, yeah, maybe I just had like I was just quite annoyed with her throughout the film. Um, The so there's there's just a couple of bits that I do want to just mention. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, the bit really really quickly. One thing you didn't mention: you mentioned that bathroom sequence when he's like slamming to get through. You forgot to mention the the makeshift flamethrower, which is like oh god, yeah. um, Did you ever do that in school? uh, No. I've seen oh, people okay. do. I watched someone set the hand on fire in school. Yeah, so Same we way, so just like, in school when you have a deodorant, obviously, and then and then someone's got a lighter, you would you've seen that in a film, then obviously, oh, yeah, yeah, you would you try that. Would you not? No, never mind. It's just me. You would in Corby, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> thanks for telling everyone <laughs> exactly where I live. <laughs> but yeah, all good. Uh, carry on. <laughs> I can't remember you were about to tell me about some key sequences. Uh, yeah. Um, Got any more? Got any more secrets, John? Want to tell anyone? Yeah, favorite colors red. Um, <laughs> right. Um, so the so the the one thing I wanted to mention, I have got down here. So I know I mentioned this shows how many good moments this has in the film. There's loads. I actually I actually wrote um, the best moment of the film, which isn't the best moment that I just mentioned because that came after it. Best moment of the film has to be when there's a car. There's a, there's one route of escape, yes. right? And there's a car and it's like, right, so we're going to get like Spoon, who's the fastest runner. And he's like, you're going to get him out there as bait. Um, and we then get the, is it is it Cooper? Cooper, goes yeah. to get the car? Cooper goes to get the car. And listen, he, he hot wires the car and he's sitting. Oh, no, and he's, no um, sorry, it's not Cooper. It's, it's one of the other squaddies. Oh, right, okay. But anyway, they go to hot wire anyway, it and yeah. yeah. They go to hot wire it. They're in this barn and it's all dark. And then he manages to hotwire it. The lights go on and it is, it's pretty scary. And it is the dog, or the wolf, chewing the head off one of the other squaddies. And it just grabs the head and it throws, throws it, it on, on the bonnet the of the car. I did enjoy yeah, that. And That's good. That's good banter. I enjoy that. Really, really good. And then he's obviously in the car. He's trying to get out there. The car gets destroyed, etc., etc. It's no, just. But with the car, no, no. There's a shot which I love because it's just from Aliens, which is um, she's on the heli ship, the drop ship, and she's like, um, Spooner, where are you? Something like that. And then like you hear breathing behind her, and then it cuts to the shot of the mouth gearing up to attack. And then bang, the alien attacks and kills her, and her, her she goes all over the windscreen. That's exactly what happens in this. Is like the breathing, like he's he's driving away, and on yeah, the he's windscreen like, you're it bombs me, up, aren't you? and he's like, "You're behind me, yeah, you're behind me, aren't you?" And then like blood everywhere, and he and he's gone. But you don't see because people because he knew people lo- would love that character. There was a far more gratuitous version of the death, but he didn't include it. He just showed it from the outside, and I'm glad because like I'll be honest, I'd seen enough people get massacred by that point in the film, so. Oh, your stomach was churning, wasn't it, John? That's the thing. To be honest, I found it more queasy than super scary. Like, there are some jump scares, but a lot of it's it's more the intensity. Like, it's quite relentless, but it wasn't like... Um, the descent freaked me out and got me thinking for, like, three days after. Because the, yeah, end, you... like, the ending, like... I know we joke, I, I couldn't deal with the Blu-ray menu, which is true. And why the hell <laughs> I decided to buy the Blu-ray to keep, who knows? But anyway, 
because you know i'm not going to be sitting watching that on a friday night but not because it's not good but because i'm an absolute wimp but um yeah that that film had quite a thought-provoking ending didn't it and it really made you think on about it afterwards well i would say the it's dog... got a brilliant ending yeah yeah well dog soldiers i would say is a more of a and there's nothing wrong with this it's a formulaic action horror fantastic well one and done for me yeah i do i think so i think the ending so get this i've got, I've got something interesting to tell you so before we finish on dog soldiers mm-hmm. so the ending really ends with the sarge who miraculously recovers from his guts being pulled out and glued back in and it turns out he has become a werewolf because he's got like it's like being bitten by a vampire i guess and so he's all good and and cooper and sarge are like fighting till the end and then Sarge starts, they get they get backed into this kitchen. Sarge starts to turn. He's like, you need to get out of here. And the way he's writhing around the yeah, floor as he transforms great. is incredible, really. And and you know what? One of, the, one of the, the greatest transformations ever is from the American Werewolf in London, which I'll talk about in a bit because we have got a really, we've got a really good question. Um, so, but yeah, the, the, and I love the fact that obviously this film was inspired by that, but Neil Marshall didn't rip it off. He just the the uh, werewolf disappears underneath the table, and then, comes then it emerges. Yeah. So I'm like, right. And in the moment, I was like, do you know what? It would have been good to see it emerge. But then I'm like, no, it would have been too on the nose. But anyway, and we also, find Cooper. It, what you don't see works better sometimes as well. Oh it's, yeah, we say this all the it's time. The don't simple we? like you know, it's like show don't tell, but also it's like what you don't see is a bit you're thinking about more so than what you've seen. Same as the explanation. Like you know when we say like, oh, I'd really like the explanation behind that. Show me the engineers. What are they? Yeah, exactly. Um, So the one thing I was going to mention was that when Cooper, this is right at the end, when Cooper goes underground underneath the house, Mm. they, yeah, they blow the gas. Like, so um, Wells, or I think it's Wells, uh, Sarge blows the gas, um, explodes all uh, all the werewolves. And then we have that classic... And probably the scariest part of the film for me, because even I jumped because I'd, I'd forgotten it happened. We've got that classic piece when he... Um, I think it's all over. Yeah, it is now. The, you've got... So the werewolf, there's, a, there's another werewolf down there and he has this big fight. He's getting beaten up. And then, yeah, they, they kind of have a fight. And then we sort of see what happens and it's in the newspapers. So it's like um, we see newspapers, England 5, Germany 1. Uh, and Told then you. Yep, Even exactly. Even scored. Even Heskey scored, but then we see um, we see um, squad leader says Wolves eight is eight is um, team. Yeah, team. Yeah, yeah. Right now, there was supposed to be a dog soldiers too, and three. They planned three. They planned three, and they right. planned the idea as well of like Cooper didn't just have to fight werewolves because you know there's a sequence where Meg says. How how are you going to sleep at night? Now you know that all these things the line, exist. She says the line between myth and reality. If they're real, what else is real? I wrote that down because I loved that line. So that one thing, mm. that one thing from Megan, um, <laughs> she says uh, the line between myth and reality. If they're not real, what else is real? Um, that was I loved that line. And so the idea for Dog Soldiers Two was that it takes place immediately after Dog Soldiers One. Cooper ends up in a mental asylum or a mental prison essentially and basically they're all like one of them turns into one of them survives and turns into a wolf and then the prison becomes like yeah 
the werewolf pen welcome to the werewolf penitentiary it sounds very much like alien 3 which is that she crash lands on a planet of convicts who don't believe her and then an alien takes over it's mad you've only mentioned alien 3 five times already on the pod there's a fair link this week i'm going with it well okay cool (laughs) (laughs) right so um i guess we've got a couple of questions Mm -hmm. so we've got we're gonna talk about our next film ready or not ready or not here i come in that next film, we've got an actress called Samara Weaving. Mm-hmm. Some people say that Samara Weaving looks a little bit like Margot Robbie. Okay. Film Forager writes in and she says, Logan Marshall Green is to Tom Hardy as Samara Weaving is to Margot Robbie. Any other celebrities you think look alike or get mixed up? So there's the lady who's in um, Sex Education who everyone says looks like Margot Robbie as well. I mean... Is, are we going to say Margot Robbie generic at this point? Cause no. Uh, <laughs> the other one I remember is people used to get Matt Damon and Mark Warburg confused all the time. And yep. I, I don't um, think they look alike. I think they're just I, both brunette men in the same age range. Never. Really I've got th- quite a few. But yeah, go on. Um, so I've got uh, Zoe Deschanel and Katy Perry. Oh God, yeah, that's true. Really look alike. I used to always think that. Um, I've got Jessica Chastain and Bryce Dallas Howard again. No. One thing that I was. I'm not oh, come having on, that. Mate. No. Anyway, sorry. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, shut you're not down. having it, so yeah, shut me down. Um, and then the last one that I definitely was, and probably the most prevalent when I was growing up as a red-blooded teenager, was that I always think that um, Kira Knightley looks a lot like Natalie Portman. Really? No. You're not having that? Right, okay. Um, I'll tell, tell you what. Listeners, write in and defend me. No, no. Kira Knightley plays a, a, a double of Natalie Portman in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Did you know that? Well, I think you've just proved my point, John. <laughs> I didn't do Kate Reviews episode. Films writes in just like you can at moviesinapodchill at gmail.com. And she says, the practical effects in Dog Soldiers are some of the finest. Hold on. Very, uh, very posh there, Kate. The practical effects of dog soldiers are some of the very finest in horror. Name some other. <laughs> Sorry, Kate. Aliens. You're not here to defend yourself, so that's what you get. Um, Genuinely. Right, cool. Uh, alien, okay. alien and aliens, I think. Well, aliens more so because they got them moving more. And it was there was only three stuntmen in three suits, and they still made it look like there were hundreds of them, which always blows my mind. The only way you got away with that aliens reference is the fact that you followed it up with a really nice... Um, anecdote i don't care um <laughs> but jamie i think that is some amazing practical effects i think other things that have amazing practical effects lord of the rings original trilogy yes there's some cg in there but the fact that all the urukai army like well i was actually it, looking at i was and, i was actually looking for practical effects in horror oh sorry sorry i thought we were just talking about practical effects do you want any more? Have you got any more? No, you, you go for your horror ones and I'll... I'll the Orokai? No, the is good. That's a good one because that's pretty scary. That used to terrify me as a kid. Yeah, you, you know the birthing sequence when they're like coming out of the mud oh, on the God, floor? Horrendous. That used to really creep me out. But anyway, yeah. Do you know that Merry and Pippin, the actors, they they both had to have like counselling because of all those scenes? Really? Yep. How about that little anecdote? Anyway, speaking I've got some horror. ones. Speaking of horror... Yeah, speaking of horror, I've got The Fly, obviously. We, we did this last year. You can go oh, back to God, our episode... Yeah. Uh, we call this the Brundle Fly. Um, I've got American Werewolf in London. Simply for that transformation sequence, when he transforms from a man to a wolf, 
that is some of the best practical effects I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, we've got the monster from Pumpkinhead, the 90s film Pumpkinhead. That's actually underrated. Not many people have seen that. Um, then I've got, what, 2016, The Void. The Void is a has got some incredible practical effects. Bit of a that's a very much a watch it when you get home from the pub style film. It's good fun. These people get locked in a police station, I believe, or a or a hospital. Can't remember. I've only seen it once. And then we've got the Evil Dead, obviously. Sam Raimi's The Evil Old Dead. School. The Evil Dead Two. Un unbelievable practical effects. So yeah, there's that. So the next film we're gonna talk about is Matt Bettinelli Alpin and Tyler Gillett's Ready or Not from 2019. I had to play along so that I can get you out. It's insane. They think they have to kill you before sunrise. Or something very bad will happen to the family. If we don't find her and perform the ritual, we're all dead. Found her. I remember this 2019 is probably the year I went to the cinema more than any other year in my whole entire life. Um, I think I got, I got, I had, it was the first time I'd ever bought one of those unlimited cards or the, the inf, uh, infinity card. I don't want to call it infinity limitless card for the, uh, for one of the, the big multiplex cinemas. And I used to go to everything, John 2019. I used to go to the secret screenings. I used to go to, like early showings and and yeah I don't really do that much anymore just because I don't have the time but I remember watching this and the first time I watched it I was like I wasn't didn't know what to expect I love Samara Weaving um she was fantastic well listen I need to be careful now because I got absolutely rinsed um last week for saying that I love um for saying that I love in time. Oh, I, yeah, but I stand by that. Kim wrote... No, listen. Kim, I, no. Kim messaged us and said, what is going on with that? And it was that I am number four and in time are not good films. Not, listen, I'm I've, not I've been messaged. Them. I've been messaged like far too many times now by different people other than that saying like, oh my God, I can't believe you said in time was good. I'm like, guys, like, just leave me alone. Like, it's a re- anyway. rewatch time, I think, for you on that one. Re-approach. So listen... I'm going to follow this up by saying that I really love Samara Weaving in a little film called The Babysitter, which debuted on Netflix in 2017, um, directed by Mick G. Was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who also did Charlie's Angels. And Terminator Salvation, which I actually like. <laughs> Uh, Terminate. Why are you doing this again? Because Kate, Kate Why agrees doing- with me. She came on and vouched me last week. Why are you I'm- doing this again? Because it's the truth. Oh. McGee's not a bad director. People have got this whole thing like, oh, we did Charlie's Angels. It's like Charlie's Angels was what it needed to be. He's one of the producers of The OC, which is one of my favourite TV shows that ever existed. And did he was he the producer of uh, Supernatural as well? Ooh. Which is, you I can Google know. that. Can you Google that while I'm just looking at this? So basically, I seen Samara Weaving in a film called The Babysitter, which... A lot of people pretty much hate. Um, I love it. It's about basically a babysitter. Um, if, obvious, obviously, <laughs> am I really going to go there? It's about it's about a babysitter. She's the babysitter. Enough said. I and she she's evil. She's an evil babysitter. He was the producer um, on Supernatural as well. He was. Yeah, exactly. See you My little knowledge there. Thanks, thanks for that, John. Love Supernatural. Fantastic show. Um, 
So basically, um, yeah, the babysitter. In fact, let's just do the second half of the pod about the babysitter. When Cole stays up past his bedtime, he discovers that his hot babysitter is part of a satanic cult that will stop at nothing to keep him quiet. Right, John, what do you think about the babysitter? Do you like that? I didn't even watch it. I'm joking, right? Um, so, uh, so I seen her in the babysitter, right? Loved her in that, and I loved the babysitter in general. Like she's just a, a hell of a good time. And and just just I'm just gonna throw it out there. The McGee also directed The Babysitter Killer Queen, released in 2020, just after Ready or Not, with Samara Weaving making a little cameo again. Also great. Just want to throw that out there. So what I want to say is, Ready or Not, unexpectedly, a very, very good film. John, did you know what to expect? Were you expecting to be scared? Should I have watched it with you? Uh, no, I think you got, you got a pass on this one. It's more weird. It's like, for me, it's more like a black comedy. So yeah, I agree, agree. I, and this is what I try and do for you. I try and look after you. It reminded me of the tone of, not the film itself, but the tone reminded me of Jennifer's body, which is it has scary, cool, jump, get that. scary moments, but there's also a good line of comedy throughout, which you get into. But it's also, weirdly, and Jamie got annoyed with me for this, but I stand by it. It reminded me of Knives Out a bit because it's another Ugh, film yeah. about a, a, a kind of dysfunctional family and their feelings about outsiders coming in. And I think the only reason you're saying that is because of the house, to be honest. House is similar. The house was the house from X-Men, which I like. Okay, thank you but, for that little <laughs> anecdote. You're but, full of the anecdotes tonight, John. Thank you for that. But, um, but no... Um, the set of the film is pretty simple, which is when someone marries into the family, they have to draw a card and play a game. But there's one card you don't want to draw, and the draw, the card they draw is the hunt someone to the death card. And unfortunately, uh, Grace, played by Smorrow Weaving, does not know that it's to the death. She thinks it's just hide and seek. So she's not that bothered about it. She's literally still in a wedding dress as she participates in this game. So she's already at an automatic disadvantage. She's got a lot of yeah. lot of material going on. But luckily she changed into a converse. That was a good shout. In order to join the family, in order to join this family, like basically there is a, there's a game and it's basically a, a Russian roulette of what the game would be. And this is just so happens as viewers, as lucky viewers get to see the game the worst game that it ever could have possibly been. It's time to play the game. That's Jamie's favourite thing to do, isn't it? He used to love um, that. I, I was actually thinking of what well, Triple H, isn't it? From uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was more thinking of Saw. Would you like to play a game? Yeah, true. There you go. And the other thing I noticed is uh, Adam Brody making an appearance. Loves these kind of lower key horror vibes, as in Jennifer's body. He was also the horrible band member, part of the Satanic Cult. Adam Brody has this little underlying cool, awesome career he's got going on, hasn't he? I feel like he's on a bit of a uh, resurgence. Renaissance. Reasons. Yeah, he's had. Um, I mean, the Kid Detective. Kid Detective. We talk about it all the time. He's, with he's, yeah, he's still doing his indie projects. But what I was going to say was, he's also doing the stuff like he's got Shazam Two coming out, which I'm guessing pays more than the indie stuff. I don't think that's Adam Brody. Yeah, it is. That's Zach Braff, isn't He's not it? the lead. He's one of the crew. Oh. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Whoa, John. Whoa. <laughs> Give me Whoa. your knowledge. All right. But... Sorry. Big DC fan over here. Yeah, a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, carry on. Carry on telling us all about Adam Brody. Well, I'm just saying that if he's in a D- any p- 
part in any of those DC films is going to be giving you some good change, right? I mean, I guess so, yeah. Um, what, money? Uh, yeah. Cold hard cash? Yeah. And yeah. deserved, because basically he really struggled to get roles post-OC because he was so well-known for the OC. And now he's at a point where it's still in pop culture, but it's far enough behind that you can do different roles. And also he takes on challenging roles, like he plays one of the nice guys in Promising Young Women, i.e. Nice not a guys nice person, in, in uh, yeah, inverted exactly. commas. And then you've got, uh, he, again in Jennifer's Body, he's a similar nice guy, again in inverted commas character. And then, yeah, in this, he plays a troubled character and we're not sure if, whose side he's on. He questions the family. He's, like, his wife basically says that she'd rather be dead than lose... Jamie just what? dropped his mic and it sounds not good. I'd what? like to say I meant that mic drop, but it was one of the worst unintentional mic drops. It, the whole the whole thing went oh, so everywhere. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, I can't even remember what I was going to say now. Jesus. Adam Brody, Renaissance, playing different characters. But yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, I... It's a shame because, yeah, if, if he was typecast for the OC, he's quite clearly, like, decent decent character. And he's, he's, he's always... He always plays... He just... I think he just seems like he's having a lot of fun at this time of his career. Yeah, and, yeah, in this... The character he plays in this film is you... Sorry, we were talking about him and his wife. Apologies. We were talking about the fact that his wife says she would rather die than not have the money. And she's, like, not come from money. She's, like, married in... But he's very done with it. Like, he's not bothered. He's resorted to drinking because he's struggling to, like, deal with it all. But as the film goes on, he becomes more sober. He starts off the film drunk and becomes more sober, which links into his character's decisions about what he does for and against the family later in the film, which I thought is worth noting. Yeah, he he's one of the most, um, like, he, he hates that family. But also, we see we kind of see Samara Weaving's husband-to-be also hates his family as well. So this is Samara so Weaving's character. Like I get essentially, um, what's what's her actual name? Grace. Probably good. Yeah. So Grace actually says at the beginning of the film, um, "Oh, your dad thinks I'm after your money," um, and then a uh, husband to be like says he hates his family. Um, they should just leave. I'm giving you an out now. So he kind of like alluding to what's going to happen, I guess. Yeah, but he's not. He's not saying. By the way, you're going to play a death game at no because at yeah, 12 but- p.m. Okay, John, here's a question for you then. Here's a question for you. Yeah, go on. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's a bit of a silly question probably. No. But I was just going to say, like, if you want to mar- you want to marry Harriet, Okay. what happens when, like, like I don't know, there's a, there's, there's a really slim chance that you might have to hunt her down and kill her, like, uh, but you don't marry her. I don't get it. Like, what? Like, do you, do you marry or do you not? No, you could have just got married and eloped and not told the family. They oh, yeah, I didn't think known. of that. Never mind. <laughs> So literally, there's there's such a solution. The whole like the story though that I got from it is Samara Weaving's character Grace wants to bring him back into the fold with the family. She doesn't know who the family are. She's trying to look like a good wife, as in trying to like bring the family together. And he's like, no, 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 no. I've been trying to get away from them. She's like, no, no, it's good. Like you should, you know, like we're all one big happy family, or we're gonna try to be. Yeah. So I think that's the way it pitches it. But in terms of like simple solution to your problem, Jamie, I would just go away and get married somewhere else, and they never have yeah. to know. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Never mind. Um, but yeah, anyway, he's, he's like, oh, oh, yeah. Are you sure? Are you really sure? And it's like, you just do it anywhere else. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I see that. And so, so basically, this is a game she must play um, that's, that spits out a card midnight um, and the game is hide-and-seek, but the game isn't really hide-and-seek. Because we see hide-and-seek at the start of the film and it's killer hide-and-seek and one of the little kids, which yeah. is young Alex, points out saying, she's here. No, he's here. Sorry, he's here. Little grass. Bang. Dead. Yeah, so basically, yeah, so and that's what it is. It's hide and seek, but they must kill her before the the sun rises or they all die. Something really bad happens. It's like this super stupid superstition they've all got, which sounds really silly throughout the whole film. And so with that in mind, John, mm-hmm. Kate reviews films right in and she says, you're the lead in Ready or Not. Ooh. What game are you picking to ensure that you survive? Oh, definitely not. Um, I can't even think of the name of it. What's the one with like the coloured cards? Red, blue, yellow, green. You have to react really quickly. And if there's like two of them, you have to go back on it. What? It, not Uno. Is it Uno? Oh, I don't know. I don't, I've not, I don't I'm play games like that. Games. Connect 4. I'll be up for a bit of Connect 4. I like Connect 4. What? Connect Connect 4 or Die? Yeah, I'd fancy my odds. Are you good at that, are you? I mean, how can you be that good at it? I don't know. I wouldn't do noughts and crosses. So that'd be too far. Noughts um, and crosses is just the the um, <laughs> the odds aren't in your favour. That you obviously always no. go for the middle tile first. Yeah, yeah just straight I'm, in. I mean, I I kind of had a completely different approach to this. I was sort of really racking my brain. I'm like Overwatch or Pez. <laughs> I'll play anyone at Pez and die. And and no, I don't think I would die. No, I think that if we're talking about I would maybe, I, I think I could beat the, that family at karaoke. No, you no. Know, if like, we're talking about proper like old school games, it's gonna be like snakes and ladders. Snakes and ladders, you don't back yourself. You can hit, you can hit a snake at any point. I would never do snakes and ladders. No, I feel like that's a killer. Do you know um, what I would do? Or oh, go on, poker, on. bit poker, poker. Oh, I'm Again, all, that's no, dangerous. No, dangerous because territory. you've got a lot of old people there. There's <laughs> a lot of old people there that are probably good at poker. If you try and do blackjack, that could be a nightmare. Same again. Tetris. I'm I'm wicked at Tetris, by the mm. way. Do you know what? That I was thinking, the best chance I've actually got is by just doing what Samara Weaver did as fight. Fight like it's because, a lot of effort though, mate. Yeah, I know, but lot. like it's either that She's going or to you... prison after that as well. She's not she's not walking away. Mm. <laughs> I mm, yeah, you're probably right. Or yeah. maybe we could just do we could just do race. I reckon I'd be all of those in a in a hundred meter oh, dash. Of those lot, yeah. Maybe not Adam Brody though. It'd be quicker. Than I think maybe I would just what I do basically is weigh up the family first, and I'd be like, right, could I reckon I could take all years in a straight up fight, or like who's dumb? Are you all dumb? And then we'd go from there. I'd be standing there sizing up their BMI. I'd be like, right, and yeah, and I think that I, I don't know. We've also got to talk about um, the guy who is the head of the family. Tony is the. Do you remember in Mission Impossible One? Do you remember in Mission Impossible One? Uh, is he the is he the um, guy that double crosses them? Well, you think he does, but he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And he's in the new Mission Impossible. Okay, well, no spoilers, John. Well, it's not come out yet. I just know he's in the cast. <laughs> I know, but you and Tom Cruise have like best buds. Got, Been got what's happened? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I love his performance because he plays like again because it's a black comedy. Oh, he's you, insufferable, isn't he? Yeah, he's just like. 
he's basically they've made a deal with the devil essentially to have for the business to do well haven't they that's the long and short of it for the games company to do well they've made a deal yeah so that yeah yeah exactly and if they don't maintain the deal it's the whole idea of if you don't kill the bride you're gonna all blow up when the if you don't do it before the sun comes up and everyone's like that's complete nonsense but for me the best parts of this film are the relationships with the characters and what i mean by that is you've got lots of different uh tony and becky played by annie and andy mcdowell have got uh their children and their partners are all attending so one of the daughters is like really useless so she's got a gun and she finds someone and she shoots the maid she shoots the wrong person and it's like it shouldn't be funny but it's really funny and there's another bit where her kid as jamie said grasses someone in at some point and shoots shoots someone and she's like i'm really proud of you and it's like this really twisted kind of like thank you for preserving our family name by being a horrible person uh and then there's one of the um i think it's charity played by elise levesque i hope i've said that correctly she is the character i talked about who was adam Brody's wife who hasn't come from money and doesn't she would rather die than not be part of money and she's like really skilled and equipped like isn't she she's like shooting properly and like she's tracking her down and she's properly on it it's a bit like if tomb raider was tracking you down like properly on it and then you've got fitch played by christian brune and he is basically a guy who at multiple points in the film youtubes how to use various weapons because he doesn't know what he's doing and he's like married into this bat nuts family and he's just trying to just keep his head above water yeah i can kind of i can kind of see why you think that it looks a little bit like um knives out yeah like i get i get that i get that um there's so there is a i mean i i I thoroughly enjoy this you said you read a review before this john oh it's hilarious what did someone say someone talks so this film is 95 minutes long and i would say literally the wedding thing at the start is less than probably about 10 minutes and it's straight into we're sitting down in the boardroom and off we go into boardroom you know what i mean into the drawing room and then they're pulling the cards and off they go for the game and the review said, oh, it does have its slow moments, but overall it's a good film. And I was just like, there are no slow moments in this film for me. It's it's very, very tight, which again is something I appreciate with horror films. If I already feel deeply uncomfortable with them, to be able to only watch 90 minutes is usually a plus point. Uh, yeah, one of my favourite, that's one of my favourite things about the whole genre is that with, with horror generally, unless it's something um, insufferable like, uh, I don't know, hereditary, uh, <laughs> like don't attack me everyone it was quite long though wasn't it it chapter one and two both of them that had a good i felt three like hours ish so it i'm sure it chapter one was two hours and then it chapter two was like at least two and a half but mm. chapter two did really suffer from its length um i actually love chapter one like i think it's i think I, it's fantastic cha- chapter one for me was very very good which I is mean, surprising which is surprising that you would say that have we watched that together yeah, we did uh, a while ago. It's when I first came back to the okay. UK. But yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, I mean, it's the one thing I appreciate about the horror genre that you can, you can just about stick one on at like, I don't know, half past eight or eight o'clock and get through it. And it's and they're generally quite fast paced. And we spoke about the horror genre loads on like last year's pod. But the one thing I would say about this is that yeah, it's it is really fast paced. It's funny throughout like it's grace i love grace's character she's like a really fun person like she's always making little jokes um 
and yeah, I think the main thing that the reason why she wants to buy into this family is because she always she's fostered. She always dreamt about having a family, and that's what yeah, and it's she sad. kind of wants. It is sad. Can we also talk um, about the fact there were like over twenty five dresses made, and they couldn't decide on the right one until they saw it in them? So she's got like all these wedding dresses made for her. And and also, really cool. did you see the um, the bit about the converse, the yellow converse? No, go for it. So the yellow converse that she wears in the film, actually they had to spray paint them because they that type of converse were discontinued at the time. Uh, I know yeah. someone with those yellow converse. We both know some of those yellow converse. I remember seeing them when I was very hungover and they made me feel very ill. Anyway. What? Yeah. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. So do I. Yeah. Why don't you Why don't you tell the listeners their name, their profession and their telephone yeah. number? Yeah, might yeah, as well. Never mind. Let's go for it. Um, <laughs> so I must say that um, the one thing I love, one, one, of, the, one of my favourite parts about horror films is that generally we get um we see a lot of female empowerment and in this film that is no exception so samara weaven's character is grace is fantastic throughout she's really fun she's she's energetic she's brave and she has a badass fight with stevens who is the butler reminds me of that so you know um when he's like putting the kettle on and he's like whistling away and she has to time. She's hiding. She yes. has to time the loading of the shotgun with the uh, with like when he's like doing certain things in the kitchen. Yeah, really tense scene. And then he, he she finally reveals herself and goes to shoot him because he's chasing her, and it's not a real shotgun. They're blanks. Again, good switch. Got me. Yeah, got me going. And after that, she runs away. Thinks she's got away. She's on the outskirts of the house. And she thinks the car's coming to save her. And obviously he's driving the car. So yeah. then they have a fight in the car. And then, yeah, he's just like, you know, there's like a bad guy in the film who just comes back again and again and again. But he's like, gets more and more smashed up and more and more angry. So he wants to kill them. It's great. Yeah. So my, I was going to say, and that shortly, that leads us on to probably my favorite part of the whole entire film. When we've got the, um, we've got Samara, like Grace goes into the barn and there's that little boy and just like at the beginning of the film, there's that little boy who shoots him with the gun. Shoots her. Shoots, shoots her, her, sorry. Shoots her in the hand with the gun. Very Christ-like. Um, yes, exactly. It really reminded me of... Um, uh, what's the film called? From Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, Quentin Tarantino's character gets shot in the hand. Um, and he can see through his hand. Um, I'm sure it's, it might be George Clooney's character. It's been a few years since I've seen it. But anyway... It reminded me of that. Um, and she punches the little kid in the face. Yeah, but also she then has to like get away from there. She's got and the this hole the in bit. one hand. Yeah. And as she climbs up to the top, her other hand gets pierced by a nail. Think Home Alone. The, the, no, the, so the she uses, so she falls down like a, a well kind of thing and she's climbing up it. And she has to use the hole in her hand oh, sorry, yes. to put it over oh. the nail to pull herself up, which is absolutely, it's really harsh. I hate really stuff harsh. like that so much. And that's yeah. when I get annoyed. But anyway, but yeah, yeah, it, it's a good sequence. Yeah, because I just, with the still, the thing stands with horror is like, it just makes me feel deeply uncomfortable, which is not what I go to films for. Like, yeah, there's funny moments in it. And like, I enjoyed it. I must say I did enjoy it, but just... I don't know if the overriding sense of unease and queasiness it makes me feel always overpowers that. Does that is that fair? I mean, that's just that's that's my takeaway of horror films in general. Yeah, I mean, listen, this, the, at the end of the day, we've, we've we've discovered that this is not your genre. However, I also do think that you have 
really i think you've grown into the genre quite a bit yeah i and i mean i the best one for me is still watching carrie i thought carrie was next level but that's a another chat but i just i'm learning to appreciate that there is just because i don't particularly engage with the genre doesn't mean there's not good films in there there's some very good films in there, some of which we've done on the pod some bad ones too which we've also done on the pod but i think and i try and, and i do and try and keep this we do but yeah, yeah i just think it's it's more for me better than the wrecking crew <laughs> i loved the wrecking crew that was so much fun oh, it was, we it need was, to watch that again it was so bad it was good you can go to our once upon a time in hollywood episode to Ooh. listen to us talk about the wrecking crew episode four ish i think that probably was listen we deep dived into that so you should check that out i mean it's probably a bit ropey when i listen to myself back i'm like hello and welcome that's how you sound oh. every other week <laughs> <laughs> Shut it! <laughs> Touche. Do you know what? I deserve that. They might have. They might have stick. I give you. Um, so there is one thing I do want to mention. Then the ending, John. What mm. did you think about the ending? I I wasn't keen on the ending. So the the end of the film is essentially that the curse is true. So the thing that they've all been stressing about trying to murder her for, they realise. Oh, it is actually it is true, and they start exploding one by one. Meh. It was super, super bloody and and a bit grim. But I, I think the first uh, time... Yeah, go on, sorry. It would have been creepier. They went for more funny. Was weirdly, I'd have been more up for if the house set on flames, but then she was fine. And they, they could have had another weird religious image of her walking out the fire being fine, but they weren't or something like that. And I don't do know. Do you know what we... Yeah, we could have had... And um, they talk about house fire earlier, like another family member who didn't do it died in a house fire. And they say, oh, that's what you were told. Do you remember they're like oh that's yeah. what you were told because that's what the press were told or whatever so i feel like they could have had another fire or or i don't know in my head like something more normal but not normal you know i don't know yeah i mean i guess so and we we could have then then we could have had a sequel just like we had a sequel to the babysitter killer queen well yeah i suppose i mean the, what would i with a sequel something like this though this to me is very much a one and done oh i'm joking like i don't want a sequel to this this yeah. was this was so much fun i so I, I will say that maybe on second watch you might feel differently so i the first time i saw it i didn't like the ending and i thought it was quite cheap however upon rewatch i much more enjoyed it and it i feel like it's quite in spirit with the film as we always do spoilers for this bit can we just talk about the main spoilers which is the whole film like Alex her husband is trying to get out of the house and then when it actually comes down to it at the very end he picks the family over her and then yeah. decides he must kill her and points her out and that for me was a shocking turn and genuinely did like play my expectations but not only that Adam Brody's character Daniel seems indifferent towards it the whole way through they say oh he's a drunk when he fancies her and whatever else and when it actually comes down to it at the end he's the only one who tries to save her and he actually sacrifices himself he's pretty clear he's gonna die like he knows he's gonna get caught and he does it to save her and it's just like wow did he love her more there we go again our favorite adam brody our favorite we do you know what we've there's a few we've got a few faves on the pod haven't we garfield and brody yeah we love we love them uh, and snyder um oh yeah right so yeah so i mean i would say that uh I would expect nothing less from these directors, to be honest, who did do... They did some of the stuff in one of my one of my favourites, uh, VHS, which is kind of an anthology-type film, like, really, really good. Um, also directed Scream as well. Um, and Guy Busick, the writer of Ready or Not, also wrote Scream, the new one, which 
we both we both very much enjoy, don't we, John? There's another one coming, you know. I've just seen. Yes, like, there's another we, one in production. But and they we, tried they tried to nickel and dime, um, oh Neve Campbell, um, she said and no. They, and she said no. So they've actually going to pay her properly now. So she's going to do it. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Oh, good. Oh, right. So just to end the pod, then I think we're done. Are you done? Are you done with the ready or not? Yeah, my my. Are you ready or are you not? Oh, come on! So John wants to talk about what John wants to talk about what he thinks the score should have been. No, no, I'm just saying. I really liked in Promising Young Woman when it had like loads of songs and tracks you knew, but had like really weird twisted versions of them to make you feel comfortable. So Toxic by the Quartet, but in that horrible kind of the way it's bowed is just like really awkward and makes you feel uncomfortable. I said to Jamie, I was waiting this film for the. The Foogies, ready or not, here I come. Did you just you hold can on. hide? Did you just call them the Foogies? <laughs> <laughs> the Foogies, because I don't know what band that is. It's well, the anyway, Fugees. whatever. <laughs> and, and also Lauren Hill. Yeah, but she'd left by then anyway, so it wasn't even them anyway. It was her on a solo with another guy. Went I rule the world. But anyway, I really wanted ready or not, but like a weird string orchestral version to play as she walked out the house and like she's walking down with slow motion with like a burning house behind her there's not a burning house in this version it's just she's like smothered in blood and police officers are like what the hell's going on here or firemen are aren't they but i just thought that would have been cool but jamie absolutely shut me down and just said that was a terrible idea but whatever i i mean i bet the licensing costs too much i hate every single thing about it um but do you know what that it is what it is um right we've got a couple of questions to end the pod with right so i'll start off with a uh, patch who writes in um and he says uh this is linked to dog soldiers mm-hmm. he says what has happened to british independent cinema nothing patch has it died is it in a lull or is it as strong as ever recommend some favorite Brit- recommend some favorite of your british films of yours to the shellers possible fan base name of the pod the shellers john what do you think about the shellers the shellers um if if the people are happy with it then i'll roll with it it's i think i quite i want them to be self-named i don't want to be one of those people i don't want to be a dictator and tell them what they have to be called um well i would probably say that (laughs) i don't want to be a dictator and yeah i think we've got enough of that going on in the world at the moment haven't we um I listen right in what do you just want to be called I just call you as dear listeners um right oh, yeah, patch you, you were asking me you were asking John um what has happened to British independent cinema has it died is it in a lull or is it as strong as ever recommend some favorite British movies um of yours right so John have you do you, any off the top of your head you can think of we didn't really prepare for this question but I've got a few Oh, no, all I was going to say was it depends what you define as British cinema. And this sounds like I'm being difficult, but when I was at uni, there was a big theory behind... You're talking about British independent cinema, to be fair, but it's like, what is a British film? Is it British-funded, or is it all English actors in a film from a Hollywood production company? Or Do you know what I mean? Like, what's Why have definition? you done this? Why have because, you done this, John? Because it was a really interesting point. But Jamie's disagreeing, so go on. Talk I'm not story. disagreeing. This is fine. Um, so, I mean... I've got I've got a few here anyway. Um, I would say that in terms of British, like so. First of all, no, nothing's happened to British independent cinema. I think it's as alive as ever. 
I think it's you just need to look a little bit harder because as we know that and this is not me saying to you patch look a little bit harder I think that uh, the royal you people just need to look a little bit harder read read magazines there you go like let me let me plug a little bit of total film like you got your total film magazine they always talk about like uh, British cinema um go look at look in your local um look in your local independent cinemas so uh, for example in Birmingham we've got uh, the electric cinema we've got the mockingbird cinema they tend to play smaller releases um I think British cinema is completely alive and kicking um I've got a few little um a few little suggestions for you that you can that you can sink your little teeth into so um right so we've got uh sensor which is a fantastic british film um i spoke about that a little while ago on the pod so sensor was 2021 film by prano bailey bond that is a that's a horror film um so that's about censorship um and about like what are the uh effects on the audience of watching gore-filled like films etc um you've got some more recent stuff like uh, mass so mass was a um a film essentially about like a shooting uh, which is again like fan- like fantastic film uh like really really small budget didn't do very well unfortunately because again not enough eyes on it um and again sometimes we can we can thank netflix for certain things like uh, Boiling Point, for example. So Boiling Point with Stephen Graham. Did you watch that, John? No, but I know that for a fact, like, it's one of those projects that got a lot of interest probably from the fact that it went on for... Wasn't it a limited release on Netflix for a while and then went off? Yeah, so so this was... So Boiling Point, I think it was uh, limited release in cinemas and was in it was in Netflix as well. So so for that kind of thing, like, I, I slate streaming all the time. Like, I slate it. But for films like Boiling Point that may not have really have got an audience i've had so many people um like message me and say like oh have you seen boiling point like check that out um and i'm like yes yeah, it's, it's fantastic and so there's so many people out there that have watched boiling point because it was on that front page of netflix um then you've got stuff like um patch you'll love this like because i know that you're into your gritty um british cinema um bull by Paul Andrew Williams, um, which is essentially uh, very much a Dead Man's Shoes vibe, John's favourite. Uh, oh, yeah. It's about a, about a vicious mob enforcer who returns home to find a son um, who, like, to basically um, a gang double-crossed him. Um, so that's that's another fantastic British film. And I was going to mention one more, but it escapes me. So maybe I'll mention... Ah, sorry. You've got the souvenir so you've got the souvenir part one and two again um yeah really really great british films but so all i would say really is just just look look for it look hard um and it's there uh you've got you've got a yeah you've got loads of stuff to watch john was there anything you wanted to pop on there no happy with what you said my friend good uh i'm not sure if oh yeah never mind never mind right so we've got one last question to end the show with um, sorry, two last questions. I'm so sorry. Kako writes in with for the first time with an actual serious question. He says, <laughs> "Which horror movies scared you guys the most?" Uh, honestly, probably the Descent is up there. Descent freaked me out massively, and I watched it with two people in the same room, and I still freaked out. And I think it was psychological as much as anything else because I was thinking about it afterwards. But the creatures in that film are really scary, really, really unnerving. And and again, the practical effects are amazing in that, aren't they? We should have said that earlier in terms of practical effects. That was stupid. 
not we should have yeah yeah we should um, have that and then i remember when i first saw the ring uh, when I was younger, that the Sarah Michelle Gellar, no, no, um, Naomi Watts. But to many, it's not that scary. But for me, that was one of the first horrors I've properly watched as a horror. Like I actually made the decision to sit down and watch, if you know what I mean, rather than you know, yeah. And yeah, it used to freak the hell out of me. And then apart from that, uh, nothing's really springing to mind. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, probably, um, I would. I started watching horror films when I was far, far too young. Probably uh, they were on at about the age of 10. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think there's probably not much scarier as a 10-year-old, really. Um, and again, my nan, my nan would have like this this video cabinet that I would just go in and I'd just, just pick some random films out. Like, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny story, actually. There was a film called um, The Imp. Right, and uh, for anyone who knows this film, I, I can probably imagine no one uh, knows it. It's called The Imp in the UK, and it's called um, something like the Slime Bowlerama. Um, there's an actual Blu-ray release. Sorority, here we go. You know what the film it is straight away. Sorority Babes in the Slime Bowlerama, the Slime Ball Bowlerama. Right, and basically what this was, eighty minutes long. And this was basically about a sorority ritual, which basically summons this imp. And there's so much nudity in it. And I was like watching this when I was probably like 12 years old, like so bad. Um, there's so much nudity, so many like bad killings. And yeah, that that probably like, I'd say it probably didn't freak me out that much. There was a reason I was watching it. Um, and then uh, I, I, the, the most recent one, I don't really get scared by films anymore, but the most recent one was definitely paranormal activity I went to see it in the cinema with my brother found it terrifying absolutely terrifying in the cinema yeah so they're they're the films that scare me the most uh right last question then so your favorite movies set over 24 hours john uh um, go first so i've got um so obviously I'm going to mention After Hours from Martin Scorsese. Uh, After Hours has always been it's been a favourite for ages. It's only really recently got a bit more, um, got a few more eyes on it. Um, Twelve Angry Men is is a really good one. Um, Dude, where's my car? <laughs> phone booth. I mean, phone booth. Kiefer Sutherland is the bad guy on the phone. A phone booth's great. Phone booth. I thought... It's like old Hitchcock, like one one place for the whole film, right? Yeah, I'll be honest. I thought there was another one you would have mentioned straight away. Were you going to say Rear Window or Panic Room? Oh my God, Panic Room! Yeah, love Panic yeah, Room. Yeah, so I thought yeah, I thought you'd have mentioned Panic Room. Um, yeah. I thought you might have mentioned Rope. Mm, right, I, do you know what? Speed of films that are so I do find Rope quite slow because he was Hitchcock was experimenting with doing really long takes, like twenty minute long takes. I can't really remember if it was to do yeah. with 3D yeah, or there was, yeah, There was, there was like some reasoning behind it, but it was... Seven takes in the whole film, I think. Um, mm. The So I've got like three more. So Nick and Nora's Infinity Playlist. You ever seen that, John? No. So it's got um, Michael Serra and it's got... I can picture the, girl... the cover of it, yeah. What's the girl's name? She is in... Um... It's not Florence Pugh, is it? No, no, no. She's got black hair. Kat Dennings, there you go. I've remembered. All right. So uh, really, really lovely film, um, proper indie film. Um, then we've got uh, Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Not seen Just, it yet. 
Yeah, mate. He just he just whips out a, a machine gun because the equivalent of McDonald's won't. Well, they just they just won't have it. They won't get him get him his McDonald's breakfast at eleven eleven oh one. And then finally, a film I go on about all the time um, by your boy Walter Smith, The Warriors. Oh yeah, your favorite. Yeah, just one crazy night. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, that's that's probably all the films I can I can really think of that. Are, yeah, I think yeah. that's plenty there. I can't think of many and, more, to be honest. And I think that's plenty from us, John, would you not think? Yeah. Yeah, do you think? We're going to do some more Halloween episodes. Do we know what's coming next, or is it a surprise? Well, I've got a couple in my... I was thinking we might have to do a slasher episode. Mm-hmm. Because we've, we've not really done a slasher episode yet. Um, I was thinking maybe I'd come around and we rewatch The Hills Have Eyes together, maybe. The Hills Have Eyes remake. Maybe we should do a horror remake episode and we'll do Evil Dead and The Hills Have Eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're doing next episode. John, you're going to love it. And I think we might have to watch both of those films together. Damn. Mm. But it gives us an excuse to hang out. You look sad. Yeah, I can remember Hills Have Eyes being notoriously like supposed to be really creepy, but we'll, we'll get on with it. As always, you can... <laughs> can't even think. <laughs> Sorry. As always. Oh... Come and find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Rate us five stars. Guess what, guys? We only accept five stars if you rate us anything less. We'll just delete it because we don't care about your silly opinions. Anyway, shellers, if that's what you want to be called. I don't don't know if I like it. I'm just going to have to have a think about that. Uh, As always, John, where can they find you? At jcb.video. Yeah, he'll be doing some videos probably about football and stuff. He never promotes the pod on there. <laughs> I'm at Movies in a Pod Shell. You can find me on Instagram. You can also find us at the email address at Movies in a Pod Shell at gmail.com. We've just got press passes to the Birmingham Film Festival, so we're going to be going there in November. That's very fun. Guess what? As always, we're going to see you later for our horror remake episode with Evil Dead and The Hills Have Eyes. Woo! Spooky. Bye!